see what is coming in the future of our lives and that you have provided for us. As we turn to the scripture today, I ask that you would help us. Help us to learn more about you. Help us to get closer to you. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, City Bible Church, um, we are here to be helping people connect with Jesus. And the last couple weeks, in particular, we were looking at what does the death of Jesus do for us, which great If you want to, on cbcbaltimore.com or on iTunes, you want to listen to that, um, I thought it was good. Sometimes I don't do good. I thought that one was good. What does the death of Jesus do for us? And then on Easter Sunday, we talked specifically about the resurrection and why it's important, but also the personal part of the story. And so we were, that was one of our ways that as a church, we were connecting with Jesus. Do you think that's a good idea? Now, another part of our stated purpose is to grow in faith and to share his love. So sharing his love, like we were talking about, whether it's supporting the child in Haiti or feeding families here in Baltimore and the info card, you'll see more that we're doing with um, helping um, Hopkins provide a meal and a bunch of gifts for the mothers of murder victims in Baltimore the day before Mother's Day. Or when we get together with Unplugged, we're actually doing some charitable stuff there with other churches the last Saturday of this month. Everything that we do, we should be connecting with Jesus, growing in faith, and sharing his love. And I've told you before that we derive this stated purpose of our church from Scripture. So let me give you an example of that. We're going to start a series on Peter that I'm going to call Grow. And I'm taking this from, I'm just going to get rid of this. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 Uh, We're not going to turn there at the moment, but this is the verse that we're going to pull this series from. Peter writes that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's when we come to faith in Jesus, it's not so that we would simply be forgiven of our sins. Check that box, like checking a box on your tax return. Sorry, oops, I did it again. I talked about something you don't want to think about. It's not, when I come to faith in Jesus, I'm not just checking a box. It's a personal relationship. But it's a dynamic, life-altering relationship. And it's one that causes growth. Now, I know that personal growth is kind of a sensitive subject. So let me just talk about that for just a second. The Bible has stories of literally millions of people. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Literally millions of people. But it is a small number of people whose lives in the Bible, we get enough information about the arc of their life. That won't happen again. The arc of their life to see growth in them. And Peter's, Peter's one of those people. Peter... Uh, whose name, whose birth name was Simon. And Simon's a very ordinary name. And in the region, Simon came from a very ordinary town. Okay, And the region of Galilee is kind of a small town, rural area, where most people were low class, uh, meaning both scraping it out financially, no one was getting rich, uh, but also rural in the working with their hands and, and taking care of their family with using their hands and not educated. Education was not the norm. And so when Simon um, grows up, Simon that Jesus called Rocky, or we get from the Greek Peter, 
uh, when, when, when Simon grows up, he's a normal, average person. And in the story of the scriptures, and maybe leading up to Easter, you started to read the story of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We, we, we see that Simon starts out, with, it's his brother that brings him to Jesus. He's an ordinary, he's a hardworking man. But we also see that at times he's selfish. And then later in the story, he's sacrificial. He's more mature. You know, growing up is changing from gimme, gimme, gimme to giving, right? Love gives. So at times Peter is selfish and at times Peter is sacrificial. At times Peter has very little faith. And then we see as he grows, he has much faith, stronger faith. What we see, and, and maybe if you grew up in church, you heard people make fun of the way that Peter was the one that was putting his foot in his mouth. Right? Peter's the one that often would say the wrong thing. But then if you track the story later on, Peter's the one who's saying the right thing. In the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the 12 followers of Christ are listed a number of times. And it's important because there were actually in the story hundreds of followers of Christ But in these 12, in every one of the lists, Peter, James, and John are always listed as the first three. And in the stories, you see those are the three that spent the most time with Jesus and had the most intimate moments with Jesus in the story. But Peter is always listed first. And this is on purpose because Peter was the leader of the group. Uh, This was both in the interaction they had while Jesus walked the earth and then after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But he's he's very ordinary. He's not uh, Matthew uh, that was following them around. Uh, Luke that was following Jesus around were much more educated than Peter was. Now, we do know that Peter learned to read and write, that he was a Jew, and that he believed in Yahweh God and everything that you read in the Old Testament. He was a seeker of God, and he was one who was looking for the Messiah. And so when Andrew came to him and said, the Messiah has come, that had meaning to him because Peter... Or Simon was dissatisfied with this life. Anyone ever felt dissatisfied with this life? So Simon was looking for something more. He had gotten into fishing. It was a family business, right? He got into fishing, but that fishing, which as a kid was uh, something of pleasure, had turned into something that was about pressure and pain. Because we know that Peter was married. Peter had children. Peter also had done enough fishing on his own that he had earned a way into a family business. He and his brother Andrew had multiple boats. And in fact, not only did he have a lakeside home in Bethsaida, but he also had another home in another part of the region as well. So he had earned some resource. He wasn't rich, but he had earned some resource. He learned how to read and write, but he wasn't that great at it. The ancient Christians actually believe that the book of Mark in your Bible, the gospel of Mark, is actually John Mark's writing down of Peter's account of Jesus and what Peter preached all the time. And here in the scripture in First Peter that we're going to turn to, First uh, Peter, Second Peter that you have in the scripture, he actually needed help writing that. He didn't write it down with his own hand like Paul wrote uh, many of his letters. So we know that Peter is kind of ordinary. We know that he would oftentimes say the wrong thing. Uh, we know that he was emotional. Uh, we know that he went through 
a lot in this following of Jesus. Now, I'd like us to turn, if we could, please. Oh, and uh, I thought we'll come back to this in this series. We're talking about Peter, but I used to have a bonsai tree, which is what you see in the picture there. Um, I used to have one in particular where you couldn't really see any moss. You just saw the rock, and, and it was a lot of fun because its roots were just wrapped under the rock, and it just like this looked like this little tree growing from a rock. I love that little bonsai tree. Uh, and I thought this was a great picture of Peter because Simon, his birth name, is not what Jesus called him, particularly when Jesus was speaking to what Peter would become in a positive way. He called him Rocky. And life and growth can come up out of a rock. First Peter. Uh, here's, here's kind of my uh, statement, just real quick, if I can, for this series. We can grow in faith by taking in what Peter learns from Jesus. So we're going to spend four weeks kind of focused on Peter and his experience because we can grow in faith by taking in what Peter learns from Jesus. And today, we're going to start with talking about faith after failure. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'd like to read verses 3 through 9. If you're there, say, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, you guys are quick. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him, even though you've never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Now, today it's easier than ever has been before to be caught up with what other people alive on planet Earth think about God and current events and the challenges of life. But I kind of find myself on a regular basis and when I, I have to engage with social media and what's out in the press or different forms, however you get your news, I'm a lot more concerned about what Jesus thinks about what's going on in Baltimore than what somebody else thinks. And when I get, you have to engage with what certain experts or public officials or the neighbor next to me that's just ticked off think about what should happen, I find myself thinking, what, 
what would Peter think? So the writings of Peter have lasted hundreds of years. Millions of people have read it and continued to reproduce it and continued to make it available for us because they still are relevant today. And so I want to stop. We spent a week talking about Jesus and the cross and what it means and why it's important. And we went all the way back to the Garden of Eden because when we talk about God's story, you can't do that without talking about it in its four phases. Creation, right? The Garden of Eden, right? God said, let there be light. Adam and Eve, he gives them a choice. Creation, the fall, not one of us isn't fallen. Redemption and restoration. And redemption and restoration are just as essential as creation and the fall. But I don't want us to be ignorant about it. And so I just wanted to kind of reference it because Peter is writing along the lines of what we read from Paul last week in Ephesians 2 about I am I have been saved, I am now being saved, and I will yet be saved. He's writing about redemption and restoration. Because ultimate restoration and the theme of this passage is heaven. I think it's really healthy for us to pause from time to time and think, what's the worst that could happen? Wow, Pastor Ben, you are a bummer. We got our first warm day, spring kicked in, and you are a bummer. Listen, if life is starting to crowd on you, you get frustrated, anxiety, depression, whatever, it's healthy to stop and think, what's the worst that could happen? Okay, the worst that could happen, I die and I'm in heaven. That was easy. Redemption, my forgiveness of sins now, and my hope of heaven in the future is restoration. So just like like I'm trying to do some Christianity 101, 201, and 401, because we got people in all parts of the spectrum in the room. Are you with me? Okay, so I'm calling back to last week, Paul. Here, Peter's talking about the same thing. But I actually just said all of that because I just want to entice you to read this passage this week. My sermon today, what I really want to focus on is who is writing this. Now, of course, Peter's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he's writing this about 35 years after the big events that to this day divide human history, even for those for whom the name Jesus Christ is just a curse word. B.C. and A.D., before Christ, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Sorry, my Latin, I apologize. The Jesus still divides how we count human history. So Peter, so what had happened, right? Peter, he's this ordinary guy. He finds the Messiah. He follows the Messiah. He's interacting with Jesus. His brother calls him. Jesus renames him. He's referred to as like a weed blowing, a reed blowing in the wind. He's, he's this way. He's that way. He's moody. He's saying the wrong thing. But what happens? What did we just talk about the last couple of weeks? Let's talk about his story just a little bit. So he's had times where he said the wrong thing. He's had times where he's made mistakes. And then what happens? Jesus starts to predict his own death. And Peter, Peter doesn't like that. They're having this kind of intimate conversation. And Peter doesn't like that. Jesus is predicting that he would be crucified. And in the, in the section that Chris was reading from 
our time of communion, at, at that table, at that communion table, Jesus has a conversation and he's telling Peter that you're going you're gonna to deny me. And Peter's response, and remember, we think that it's John Mark that's writing what Peter taught about it in this Mark chapter 14, verses 29 and 31 that you see on the screen. Peter says to Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. No, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the crow, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. And what happens, right? They leave there. They're singing. They go to the garden. Judas comes. They come to arrest Jesus, to take, to take Jesus. Peter wildly slashes with his sword and takes, takes off the ear of Malchus, the high priest, his servant. The, the Malchus, the servant of the high priest, Peter takes his ear off and, and Jesus has to rebuke Peter. See, that's not how we do things. And he heals the ear, he puts the ear back on. And if I was a soldier, that would have been my time to leave. But Peter has to see once again, once again, Peter has to see failure. He didn't, he didn't get it. If you're part of this church for any extended period of time, and I don't help you through Scripture be prepared for tough things in life, then I have failed you. Epic fail. We're all going to experience a measure of failure. Little ones, big ones. So here's Peter. He's in the garden. He's coming back to this, this place of failure. And then what do they do, right? They take Jesus and they put Jesus on trial. Romans don't know what to do with them. They think this is just a Jewish thing. I don't know if any of you watched the TV miniseries. They just went over the story last Sunday night. Actually did a really good job of it. But Peter's there. He's at a distance. He's watching. The other ones take off. The other followers, the other super apostles, super, they all, they're gone, right? Peter's there. John's there. In the courtyard, this open air area, they're putting Jesus on trial. And the crowd kind of presses on Peter and he's out on the outskirts and somebody recognizes him and aren't, aren't you that? No, that's not me. He moves in the crowd. Somebody else recognizes him. You, you are. You, I can hear it in your, your accent. You're, you know, and you know what that means to Peter. He talks like somebody who's not educated. You are. No, no, no. That's not me. I never knew the man. His denials get stronger and further out. And then a preteen girl. Yes, you are him. I recognize you. And then Peter drops a cuss word. He drops a four letter to try to further distance himself. No, I'm not one of those guys. But we ha- I want you to consider that in this moment, these are men in bodies. So Jesus is 100% God and 100% human, but he is human. He's up there. He's already been beaten. He's up on the top of the steps. He's being put in trial. He can see Peter. Peter can see him eyeball to eyeball. Peter has denied him. He has failed. 
Peter has failed. And this, this, is, a, this is a big one. This isn't just saying, giving the wrong answer to a question like he's done before. This is a big one. He looks at Jesus and he remembers. He promised, even if I have to die. That's what he said. But what did he do when the pressure was on? He failed. He failed. Failure is, uh, in this case, includes sin. Sin can be doing or saying something you shouldn't and not doing or saying what you should. We look in scriptures, omission, not doing the right thing, omitting, not doing the right thing, or doing the wrong thing, sins of commission. So Peter has failed. And yet these beautiful words that we just read about heaven are from him. Can you imagine what what did Peter think and feel when Jesus physically dies? The story tells us the historical accounts that the sun went black. It was dark as night in the middle of the day. The curtain that separated the open part of the temple to the holy of holies was ripped from top to bottom. And where is Peter? He's stumbling through the streets, weeping. He failed. He failed. How how do you get from there to what we're reading here some 35 years later? I want you to consider something. Judas didn't have to commit suicide. Judas betrayed Jesus too. It didn't have to end up that way. Who is God? What can I, what, what can I learn from Jesus, from what Peter learned from Jesus? So what does Jesus say to Peter when he predicts this? When, not if, when, when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I always have a hard time telling this story without crying. I've spent a lot of time in this story. It means a lot to me. I don't care about Sunday mornings in the show. I don't care about it at all. I care about Jesus. And what Jesus has done in my life and the forgiveness of my sins has completely changed me. And that's why I've spent a lot of time in this story. When I think think about what these people, men and women that were in this room waiting for Jesus, went through. You think that they all believed that he would rise again on the third day? I doubt it. Peter's, but what's going through his head, right? 
He's got all these emotions. Well, what's going through? Do you think he's remembering the words of Jesus? When you have repented, do you think that he maybe had to come to a place of repenting for his sins before he came back to try to find the others? I think so. I think he had to come to a place of confessing his sins and repenting. I think he remembered what Jesus said. When you have repented and turned to me, strengthen your brothers. It is so important that everyone in this room has faith after failure. Because there are people that God put around you that are depending on you having faith after you fail. When you have repented. It's not, oh, I I messed up. I can never talk about Jesus. No. But that's how we feel, right? Are you with me? Oh, I said something I shouldn't have. I told a joke I shouldn't have. I showed up to work late three weeks in a row. You know, I stole money. I did this. They know about my past. I can't ever talk about Jesus. Who do you think wants you to feel that way? Not Jesus. Not Jesus. What did Jesus say to him? When you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I want to pull two other things that Jesus taught that Peter learned that gave him faith after failure. Remember how Jesus taught them to pray? In the prayer... He taught them to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and keep us from evil, or in other words, don't let us yield to temptation. You think maybe in that couple of days of Peter's waiting for Jesus to come back to life, that, that what these words are going through his head, when that when, the one time when he asked Jesus, how do I pray, it included the words, forgive us as we forgive. That Peter started to believe on his insides that Jesus could forgive him for his failure. That Jesus saw his failure coming. That Jesus said, when you've repented and turned to me, strengthen your brothers. That when you pray, you should pray, forgive us as we forgive and protect us from yielding to temptation. Jesus knew that we would be tempted and that we would blow it. Jesus knew that and that's why he taught us to pray for help to resist temptation. You should be on a daily basis asking God to help you avoid temptation, to help you not fall into sin. It's a part of the Christian life. It's what Jesus prepared us for. And I believe that Jesus taught these words as well that John wrote, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us. We've all had different failures, big ones and small ones. I had a job for a while. Uh, I paid my way through college primarily selling carpet and worked in a warehouse for a part of that time. And in a warehouse with rolls of carpet, you drive a forklift that lifts up the rolls of carpet and moves them around. And, um, and when, you, when you do that sort of job, you take pride in moving fast. Yeah, sometimes that means failure. I'll never forget the day I was driving the forklift 
And in this warehouse, there were in the middle between the racks of carpet, racks on this side and racks behind you, and moving the forklift and getting a roll of carpet up off the, the top shelf. Um, I'm moving. I wasn't looking at the top. I, got, I picked it up and then looked away to where I was, you know, you back up real quick. And all of a sudden I hear this, what sounded like an explosion. And the forklift is all of a sudden being lifted. The back end, that's the heaviest end, is being lifted off the ground. And there are there is wood, shrapnel, and hydraulic fluid falling on my head. And what I had done in my carelessness is failed. I had not dropped the roll of carpet below the wooden beam that was in the middle. And the top of the forklift had smashed into that beam. And I had caused damage and operations were shut down. It was the one forklift we had in the warehouse and I felt not smart. (laughs) Serving Jesus should not be about living, tiptoeing through your life, worried that you're going to fail. No, no, no. That's religion. That's relating to God through superstition. There's relationship with Jesus and religion. Religion leads us to, it's my actions that make me right. It's when I'm good, then I can approach God. No, that's religion. That's false. We call um, bogus on that, and we don't believe that. Right? No, a personal relationship with Jesus. And when Peter writes those beautiful words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9 through 9, about heaven and the hope of heaven and, and about their life and, and about how awesome it is that they believed in Jesus even though they didn't see Him, Peter remembered when Jesus prayed in front of them about those that would believe in Him even though they hadn't seen Him. And, and think about what a failure Jesus... Peter felt like he was because he had seen him. He had been with him for years. He'd been around him. And Jesus had even predicted it for him. And yet he still failed. There is no failure in your life Jesus wasn't ready for. There is no failure in your life that Jesus wasn't ready for. He did not go to the cross so that we would walk around on pins and needles worried that we were going to mess up. He did not go to the cross so that we would relate to Him only when we feel like we're doing the right thing. No, that's religion. Gospel, Jesus, the good news of what He's already done for you means I can relate to Him through grace. That if there's anything about walking a tightrope in serving Jesus, what Peter learned shows us a sense of adventure. Now, I am an adrenaline junkie. I've had the concussions to prove it, broken bones. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love adrenaline. And so a sense of adventure is how we should be living this life. Because if you fail... Jesus is the net. See, this message isn't a bummer. It's a pick-me-up. We should drive fear of failure out of us with a passion. Are you with me? We shouldn't have a fear of failure that's on the inside. Now, I've got to close, so I've got to talk about how. How, how did Peter 
move from failure to faith. And I want to use the example of the conversation where they're face to face at the table and Jesus is predicting the failure as an example of how you and I can move from failure to faith. Well, obviously, it starts with you repenting. And that's what happens when you're close. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the exact words. You know what it is in your heart. Right? There's a song in talking about, you know, a husband and wife and love, and it talks about being too close for words. You get a certain physical proximity and you're not talking anymore. Peter followed Jesus so close, there were things communicated without words. When Peter moved from failure to faith, he did so close to Jesus. He, let me put it to you this way. He had a transforming experience with Jesus. And for the rest of his life, he never moved far from it. That's why when he was being put to death for preaching the gospel of Jesus, and they were going to crucify him, Peter, he insisted that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. See, Peter never got too far from his experience with Jesus. The first way you can move from failure to faith is be close. The reality is is that if you're close to Jesus, if you're following Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you're going to grow. It's going to happen. In fact, you probably won't notice it. It will probably be people that are closest to you that will notice it. Six months will go by, a year will go by, and they'll go, you are a different person. If you're close to Jesus, that's how it works. It's not about you faking it till you make it. It's not about you doing things that you don't believe in. If you're just close to Jesus, growth happens. we got to be close. Peter was close to him. And Peter came back. He didn't leave. He was there in the room. When Jesus came back to life and over a month of 500 people saw him, Peter was close. We've got to be close. And that takes time. You can't be close to Jesus and crowd him out with Netflix. That doesn't work that way. You've got to give him time. We move from failure to faith by being close to Jesus. We move from failure to faith when you're close to Jesus, you will hear him. You will. It may be through the scripture. It may be through a book. It may be through the voice of uh, another Jesus follower who's close to you, or you may hear his still small voice. But you will hear him if you're close. But you've got to hear him. You know, hear him, hear him. Anyone been in a conversation and realized, oh, I was totally not listening to what they just said? Yeah. <laughs> you got to hear him. Then you have a decision will you believe him? See, when we try to approach God by doing good stuff, it's because we don't really believe him. Whoa. Deep. That's the truth. When we try to approach God by doing good stuff, it's because we don't fully believe that His grace is enough. 
Be close. To, you can't move from failure to faith by just doing stuff. Be close to Jesus. Hear what he has to say and believe it. You got to make a decision in your heart if you will believe that what he says is true. And then from there, it's also not just uh, staring at your belly button in your room by yourself. It is also doing something about it. In fact, Jesus was so bold as to say that if you hear my words and you don't do them, you don't love me. That's what Jesus said. You've got to hear what he has to say. You've got to believe it. And you've got to do it. Do it. So we've got a response. We've got something to do about it. And the beautiful thing about this whole thing is that Peter failed as bad as you could fail in that moment. And you know that right now there's a church on the spot where he denied Christ. His actions, he was a part. He was a part of what turned the world upside down, of why we're here today, of why we have his words right here in front of us. So listen, we can grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me? Maybe, Jimmy, if you could come and play. And I just want to give a chance for a a prayerful response this morning. Isn't this good? Aren't you encouraged? Come on, you can't fail out. Jesus doesn't kick you to the next class. It's not a failure in our life that Jesus didn't see coming. And there is faith. And I hope and pray that today, this week, you'll spend time in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, because it's encouraging stuff. It's good stuff. It's a shining example of how you can go through failure and come out on the other end with faith that is life-changing, that changes your own life and changes the lives of people around you. Let's have a private moment with God right now. If you're here today and you'd like prayer, I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. You want prayer today and I want to pray for you. Will you agree with me in prayer as we pray for those that Ask for help. I know everyone in this room, we all need help in this area. There's a lot of different ways that we can feel like we've failed, and God doesn't want us to waste energy with that. He wants us to quickly accept His help and be encouraged and live this life with a sense of joy and adventure. Let's pray. God, I thank you so very much that you did send your son Jesus to live for us, to die for us, to come back to life for us, that the same power that lived in him could live in us, 
that even in the face of hardship and difficulty and our own personal failure or fear of failure, that we don't have to live trapped, but we can be free. We can be full of joy. We can be encouraged. God, that there's not a failure in our life that you didn't see coming, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and that when we repent, we can come to you and help others. Lord, I pray right now that you'd help every one of us in this area, and in particular those that have asked for prayer today. Lord, strengthen them, heal them, draw us to salvation, but also draw us to encouragement and a life of joy, not wasting any energy on insecurity or fear or dwelling on the failures that we did do. Lord God, help us to love you and celebrate you and live for you. I thank you that we don't need to fear failure. I thank you that we don't need to live that way, but we can have joy. Help us to be bold this week. Help us to ask for your involvement in our lives and to reach out to those that you've put in our lives. Lord, to not be fearful because of what we may have done or said in the past that was wrong, that they would call us a hypocrite. To not be fearful, but to just step out and represent you and just talk about you and the goodness of who you are. I thank you that we don't live in the past that we live today, that our windshield can be bigger than our rearview mirror. I thank you, God, for your love for us and beautiful weather in this spring week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Feel free to hang around, especially if you'd like uh, prayer. Feel free to reach out to myself or someone else. I'd be happy to pray for you. Uh, again, please don't leave unless you've got, already got this month's uh, info card. There is uh, food and stuff to drink in the refreshment area in the theater. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day.